Hey guys, my name is Crystal Kenny, and I'm in love with creating. All things artistic and imagination involved. I'm an American girl who chased her creative dreams all the way to Paris, France, making a living using photography. This podcast takes you inside the stories of all the artsy folks I've met along the way and gives you that extra push to discover your creative gifts. The desire to create is deeply inside each and every one of us, and I give you the tools and inspiration to find a new way of living a more creative life. This is La Vie Creative, the podcast. Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History Advocate Hemingway, and if you've been following along, we have been talking about the Marais, and now we're talking about a different section of the Marais, because it is a pretty big quarter, and there's so much to do, so much to see there, and we're excited for Claudine to teach us a little bit more today. Yeah, so this is a little bit, last week was the Haute Marais, or the High Marais, and this is the Lower Marais, just the Marais. Um, So it is kind of the more of the Marais that most people know, um, and most people probably just think of the Marais as one big thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like each, you know, actually each arrondissement in Paris is separated into four quarters. And so like in my favorite Saint-Germain, there's Odeon. And then there's the Monet, then there's, it's just, it, each one, and it's actually really difficult um, to find some of that information of what exactly it is and where it breaks up and how it breaks up. And obviously, like in Saint-Germain, Odeon, which is the greatest part in all of Paris, mm-hmm. that is a very well-known um, name, but some of them, like, I mean, do you, what is the one you're in that's part, part of Montmartre? Do you know? No idea. Yeah. See, like some of them, it's like, I, you don't even know. And I've even tried to look online to find out what all these things are. And it's really actually not that easy to uh, find out where it breaks up. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. One of the biggest things about the Marais is, as we mentioned last week, is museums. And this part of the Marais has a few other great ones that you don't want to miss. And the first one would be that of the Musée de Carnavalet, which is the History of Paris Museum. And if you are listening to this podcast, this museum is probably one you want to go see because it is amazing. (laughs) If you love Paris, if you want to learn more about Paris, if you want to learn about the history of Paris from the very, very beginning, it is amazing. And it just reopened after I think it was five years of renovation. Of course, it went longer because of COVID. Um, But the first time I went to that museum, it was already probably like three quarters of the way closed off. And so when I first went, you didn't get to see a lot, but now it's open and it's fantastic. Um, But the museum was actually opened in 1880 by Mr. Houseman, who of course is known for ripping apart the city and creating these grand boulevards and all the things we love about Paris. Um, But he actually was one that's like, hey, we should have a history of Paris museum because I'm going to bulldoze through most of it. <laughs> but it was his idea. It was a very good idea. So the Hotel de Carnavalet was built um, in between 1548 and 1560 by Pierre Lescaut. Pierre Lescaut also did a lot of the stuff that's in my favorite, the Louvre. Um, he is. Uh, he did this he, in the Louvre under Henry IV. And then it was built by Jacques uh, de Lenier, who was also uh, worked at the Parliament of Paris. 
he said he had taken over part of the what which was the con convent of saint catherine um in that area and decided to have this building built that would be used for the carnavalet um, inside of it, some of the, in the courtyard, some of the sculptures on the walls were done by Jean Goujon, who did also the caryatides in the Louvre, and Antoine, Antoine Cosivo under Louis XIV. Um, it would get its name in 1578 when Francois de la Bonne, who was the, who was the widow, uh, or Francois, sorry, of Francois de Carvigny de Carnavalet. So sometimes you, these buildings will, you know, we know of like the Hotel de Carnavalet, the, you know, the, there's ones on Ile Saint-Louis, but it, those names that we know that are still attached to it today aren't always the people that built it. Sometimes like the Hotel Biron, when we talked about the Mise Rodin, the Hotel Biron, um, the Marshall Biron was like the second owner. So um, sometimes they just go with a name and they just keep it and stick, stick with it. Yeah, yeah. But in 1652, Claude Baslev asked Francois Mansart, who we talked about also last week when we talked about the hunting museum, he asked him to expand the size of the hotel, adding a whole nother floor. Uh, but its most famous resident might be who somebody we've, another lovely lady we've talked about was the Marquise de Sevigny, who from 1664 to 1695 lived there. She was the lady of letters, if you remember. She's the one that wrote um, those letters to her daughter that moved to the south of France, basically documenting everything that happened in Paris. And it was uh, her letters that basically tell the story of like uh, Fouquet's trial, all the stuff that was going on at Versailles. Mm. Um, it was those amazing um, pieces and they've all been published. Um, but she lived there for a little bit. It actually sits on the Rue de Sevigny, named after her. Um, but in 1866, as I said, Houseman suggested that they needed the City of Paris Museum. So they purchased uh, the building and for the city's collection um, that had once been in the Hotel de Ville. Uh, but they didn't move it in time. And a lot of the stuff had been destroyed in the fire of the commune, sadly. So this building, which was the Hotel Le Petier de Saint-Fergeau, um, was also part of the museum. It dates back to 1688. So now when you see it, it's actually two buildings that have been combined. Um, in 1895, it became part of the city of Paris and the history of uh, Paris Museum. And that was once the library. So it was the library of the history of Paris until 1968. Um, and then it was added and the Carnivalet was extended in 1989. The no. collection that's in, inside dates back to the Gallo-Roman times. You have everything from paintings, furniture, sculptures. Um, there is even one of the things I'm obsessed with, which is the wax effigy of Henry IV, who I don't think I've talked about on the podcast. But um, when he died, they had a life-size wax effigy created of him. It lied on top of his coffin, and they had it in the Salle de Caryatide in the Louvre. And every day, twice a day for every meal, um, hundreds would sit there on these very long tables, stretched out in front of him, and eat their dinner and their lunch with head over Henry the Fourth's body laying in the coffin yeah. and his uh, wax effigy. And I've been obsessed with this whole idea. <laughs> and when I went in there and it's not the wax effigy that was in the loop, but it is a wax effigy. And when I saw it, I just about died. <laughs> I was so excited to actually see it. And I was, I don't know why I was always thinking it was like this, you know, jelly weird wax because they would change his clothes twice a day. Oh my God. 
Yeah, it's very strange. He made one when Gabrielle Destries, who we also did a podcast episode about when she died, and they changed her clothes three times a day. That is so weird. It's so weird, and I'm fascinated by it. Like, I, I <laughs> have to find out, like, who made these things, what, what, like, it, where is it, what happened to it. It's just so bizarre. But there is one there, and it's, like, looks like very, very hard plastic. Hmm. It's very cool. Uh, but it is super, super neat. Um, it's a great museum. Um, it took me three visits to get through all of it. Um, but of course I, you know, am reading and noting and photographing every single thing I see and sometimes looking things up on the internet. Um, it is multi-floors. It starts in the basement with going back. Um, it basically goes chronological from the basement up to the top floor. The top floor is a lot of stuff about the revolution um, it is really interesting. Like they have in this case, um, these, what were very popular at these time at the time, um, earrings that were guillotines. So there were ear- earrings that were made. They were like brass and it looks like a guillotine blade. Oh my gosh. What? Yeah. It was like, and they were big. It, it, there was also the whole, um, hairstyle. So before women went, and when they were killed, the guillotine, they cut their hair very short, like they did to Marie Antoinette. And then it became a style after that of like, it's it the so cut. It's so like just spooky. Ugh. Like, Hey, we just saw all these heads on a pike with their goo dripping out of it. I think I want to get my hair cut. Oh, like that. <laughs> deranged. Yeah. So weird. But it sits on the Rue de Sevigny. The, the museum It's open Tuesday through Sunday um, from 10 until 6 p.m. They used to want you to do a time ticket that you booked online in advance, but that has since gone away just recently. Um, I went a couple weeks ago and I had, I got a ticket in advance, but I just try to do um, for a client that I'm doing trip planning for and I spent about a half an hour on the website going, where in the heck did they put those tickets? And they have taken it down. And it says there's no need. It's a free museum. It's a free city of Paris museum. If they are doing a special exhibit, um, like they recently did one from Marcel Proust, which was phenomenal. Um, the next special exhibit doesn't open until September, which is quite a ways away. Um, but if there's a special exhibit, there's usually a fee for that. But just to generally go to the museum, it's free of charge. And it's really fantastic to go. On the back side of it is a very small square. It's called the Square Georges Quint. It's named for a very the one of the first curators of the Carnivalet, which is really cool. But what's really cool about this little park is on the outside of the wall, the park is filled with some really cool finds. In the very center of it, there's a great statue by Aristide uh, Maillot. Who was he created this statue? It's called L'Ile de France. Um, and she is a woman holding a scarf. And then Milo, of course, we talked about a few weeks ago because there's a really cool exhibit at the Orsay. And those are also the 18 statues of the bronze women that are in the upper Tuileries. So it's basically right past the Arc de Triomphe de Carousel. There's a little, the shrubs with the ray that kind of look like rays because it was actually originally a sundial. And those statues in there are done by Mayo, which are really great. Um, but inside this garden, along the walls, are pieces from the Hotel de Ville and the Tuileries. So there's a uh, pediment of the Tuileries that has a clock and a, which is really really cool. And you can still see like the burn marks because it was burned in the commune. Um, also, really around the corner from there was the Square Leopold Aquil, which there's a statue of Pomon that was also saved from Hotel de Ville from the fire. Um, it was on a small alcove on the outside of the building. 
um, that Francois Premier, of course, had first done. And there's also another little alcove there that has the salamander, which is a symbol of Francois Premier, uh, because the salamander is supposed to be a very indestructible animal. Oh, is that why they're all over the Paul Alexander Trois as well? Yeah, yeah. And so I am a kind of like, why is this? Like, I at one point was like, what was all of the kings? Like, what was their little, like, you know, their animal? But not all of them did it. Another, um, I think it was Louis, I think it was Louis the Ninth, Louis the Eighth. Um, his was a porcupine. And there is a random door um, really close to the Musée de l'Armée, which lays on believe. And over this door is a uh, porcupine. Oh, that's so interesting. I know. It's so cool. Um, but this one, this little, this little uh, park, it just goes right on the other side. So if you took like a, the huge city block that is the Carnival A, and one corner of it on one side is this, the Square George Cannon, and the other one is the Leopold. Um, it goes right around there. And it's very close. You go right around the corner to um, Rue de Thorignier, which is where another fantastic uh a museum is but right before you get to this museum if you're going um from the carnivalet on your left is going to be a very little garden that's very sweet i was just in there yesterday and it's the jardin bert wheel and we did that episode about bert wheel she was um an amazing woman she was uh the first woman that owned a gallery she was also picasso's first uh art dealer um, in Paris when she when he first arrived in 1900. We did an episode last year, uh, March of 2021, about her. She's a fascinating woman, and she has this little tiny garden that's right next to the Picasso, which is so fitting. I love it. So she, and she also, um, she was a huge proponent for women artists, including Jacqueline Marvel. We love her. We love her. She's awesome. Definitely go back and check out that um, episode. But the Hotel Salet, which is, as we know, the Musée Picasso Paris, uh, it was built in 1658 for Pierre Aubert Seigneur de Fortenay. He was a salt tax collector. And that was why that was given the name um, because it's a Hotel Salet, which is French for salt. And you might also have heard the term before the it's that they're worth their salt um, is a very old term because because of this guy. And when you see this place, he made a lot of money by taxing salt because it was a very um, expensive commodity at one point. And salet also sounds a word like salary. And that's where salary comes from is because what? of salt. Oh, that's so cool. Don't say you don't learn something new every day. (laughs) But he was a tax collector. The architect Jean Boulier designed the Grand um, Hotel um, because it was a hotel particular. And Gaspar and Balthazar Marcy took care of the sculptures that are on it. Nicolas Fouquet's fate of being tossed into prison um, because he was the one that had Bully Vicomte and he built that beautiful, you know, uh, chateau outside of Paris. And he has Charles Lebron and Louis Laveau and Alexander Lenotra. And then he invited, you know, uh, he was the minister of finance for Louis XIV, invited Louis over for a party. And then he was like, hey, how the heck can you afford this? And they convinced Louis to arrest him, throw him into jail. Then he took all of his artists and then decided to create Versailles with those same artists. But poor Mr. Uh, Pierre was uh, tied a little too close to Nicolas Fouquet. And because Nicolas Fouquet was thrown into prison, so was Fortuné. And his land uh, would then go back 
to uh, the city because he went to jail. Um, It was seized in 1663 and became the Embassy of Venice. Then it became the school that Balzac attended. And in 1964, it got into the hands of the city in Paris and began a 10-year-long restoration. Um, Picasso, yeah, Picasso died in on April 8, 1973. So there's going to be a whole lot of stuff going on around the world in museums around the world next year. They've announced because it's a big anniversary of his death, his 50th year. Within a year of his death, a huge windfall of art came into the state's possession. In 1968, France passed a law that their heirs could pay their inheritance taxes with art. And they passed this because of Picasso. Um, early on, Jacqueline, who is Picasso's widow, gave over 5,000 pieces of art to France um, in lieu of paying taxes on the inheritance. They were select pieces were selected specifically by uh, Dominique Bozo, who was creator, curator of the National Museum, um, who also included um, she was also the one that uh, picked the the personal collections of Renoir, Rousseau, Corot, Miro, Cezanne. And in 1979, they restored the hotel to its original grandeur. And the hotel turned into a museum. It opened on September 28th, 1985. Oh, 85. Wow. So when they do, when they did this donation, they would say, like, it wouldn't just be, even though it was Picasso, they wouldn't just say, oh, hey, here's some paintings take this we're good it was actually like okay here's what we'd like to and then they would decide which pieces they would want to keep um jacqueline his for his wife his last wife she died in 1986 and more of the works were donated recently his daughter maya donated nine pieces six paintings uh two sculptures and a um in a sketchbook. And I just happened to be there yesterday and got to see the collection. And it was really fantastic and really, really interesting. And also talked about its other children. He didn't always have the best relationship with his children at the end of his life because his wife, Jacqueline basically wouldn't allow any of them to visit or see him. So, um, you know, he got to see Maya who he had, um, was, was his first daughter, his second child that he had with Marie Therese. Um, and it was really amazing. I'll put some photos up and then go look on my Instagram and I'll save it. Um, when I post the photos, there's some amazing photos of her with her father and the, from their side, they, you could definitely, they have like the same nose and everything. Um, it seemed like they really had a pretty amazing relationship, especially as she was growing up. Um, but it's really great to see what I do love about the Picasso is because they do have such a vast collection. They can't have all of it out at one time. So once a year, they redo the permanent collection. Um, at the end of his, like those last years of his life, he was obsessed with copying um, and reinterpreting uh, Manet's Dejeuner sur l'herbe, which is another thing I'm just obsessed with. And over time, they keep adding and changing out the paintings and Picasso's take on it. He's got these notebooks. He's got paintings. You know, Dejeuner sur l'herbe, of course, is the one with Victorine, who we also talked about very early on that became an artist. She's sitting there in the front naked. And then the two men fully closed behind her in a very contemporary setting. And then you have the woman in the background in the water. Um, but Picasso, of course, interpreted it, you know, in many different ways in lithographs and paintings and cubist style. Um, and so sometimes it's, you know, one woman and a man or it's the two women, two men and the woman. So he kept changing. He didn't 
you know, is his own reinterpretation. It's fascinating to see it. Um, the exhibit that's currently on that goes until December 31st um, is really cool. And it's always just a really great, um, a really great museum to see. Also very, very close to there, which we've also done a podcast about, um, is the Musée Cognesche. Um, and that is just, it's, it's like a block and a half away from Picasso. They are the couple that had opened and had the Samaritan and they had a huge art collection. They never had any children of their own. Um, the collection was at one point, um, showcased in the, in the store, uh, the Samaritan that they had on Rue de Capucine. Um, and then it ended up that they gave it, um, when he died, they ended up giving it to the state. Um, the building that it's in was not one that they ever lived in. It was one that they ended up getting this building and redoing it and putting it in there. The first time I went to this museum a few years ago, it was, uh, really like nobody was there and it really needed some attention. Um, I just actually was there yesterday after I went to Picasso because I wanted to see the Louis Leopold Boilly, um, exhibit. And he was this a great painter. You could find some of his paintings in the Louvre and he, um, did the paintings between the revolutions. So he did them between 1789 and 1848. And it was basically documenting the people of Paris at the time. And that like his painting in a style, is just like, I mean, this, the, the images of the faces, are, I mean, they're just, they're so like just flawless and they're really neat. And he liked to stick himself in the painting. So there'd be crowds of people and maybe he paints one of them as him. Um, and it's, they, they, when I walked through, they definitely had redone some of the stuff in the museum. It's much, much, uh, it's a little bit easier to get through. Um, the upper floor was closed when I went there, which was a bummer, but, um, it's really cool. They have this one room with this like canopy bed that I just want to like crawl in. They used to have uh, this very, very pink, uh, like bubblegum pink, uh, silk taffeta bed with a canopy and it's not on display right now. And I was kind of crushed that I, it was not there, <laughs> but it's really cool. It's a great museum. It is also one of the free museums of Paris, unless there's exhibit, the exhibit that's going on right now, I think it was six or eight euros to go. Um, and it's open Tuesday to Sunday, 10 to six. Um, but it, we are going to do another episode, um, sometime soon about some of these museums that are kind of like going into former homes, like the Jacquemart André and the Camado. Um, but they're really interesting because you, instead of being in a big museum, you get to kind of actually see a little bit of like an idea of how people lived yeah. with the art. So it's pretty cool. No, I mean, the Marais, like you said, like all these places are broken into different sections and there's just so much to see and like there's so many hidden gems and sometimes I feel like Paris is not very good at like sharing that information you know no no and everybody you know like you look at you know that's the thing like you look online if you know there's always the top 10 museums to see or uh, the one I really hate is skip the Louvre and go to these ones instead it's like no 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 never skip the Louvre yeah you know some of these places you know and a lot of these articles online they're generated basically the people writing them sometimes aren't ever even in Paris and they're generated from reading other articles. So it's just kind of like, it just kind of perpetuates these, you know, things. And, and, you know, there's almost 200 museums in the city of Paris. So there's pretty much a museum for everyone. There's like a, you know, there's the medical museum, there's the magic museum. There's like, I mean, there's just literally something for everyone. Um, But, you know, some of these museums just get, you know, because they're not, you know, filled with, 
what people think are masterpieces, but some of those are actually the best because you go in there and you could be the only one there and really have the time to look and explore. And, you know, it, it's really fantastic. Yeah. I think sometimes people treat travel like a job and they're just checking things off their list. And mm-hmm. it's like, you just got to enjoy it and embrace it a little bit more. Yeah. Even though it is our job. <laughs> But that's when, you know, you could just, you know, reach out to me and I could help you plan your perfect time in Paris. Exactly. And I think that is the perfect note to end on. I hope you guys have enjoyed this series about the Marais. And we hope that you will tune in next week and check out Claudine's website, ClaudineCaffey.com. Thank you for listening to Paris History Avec A. Hemingway. If you want to find out some more, you could always find me on my Instagram page, Claudine Bleu Blanc Rouge, and that's B-L-E-U, as in the French way to spell it. And each day I post a daily history lesson about a person or a place or something in Paris, or it's lots of fun facts. And then also at ClaudineHemingway.com, where you can also sign up for my newsletter there.